to you before we started. Uh, I'm in the midst of, of, I mentioned that I'm in the midst of doing some research. But apparently when I do a little bit of research, uh, everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Uh, we regularly record the messages, uh, tried to do video because quite often what we do here truthfully doesn't come across very well on audio, uh, but the video hasn't worked very well. We never have problems with the recordings, and, and it's kind of cool because they get listened to in various spots. Uh, a lot of places that would be known as what uh, in religious circles is called rural legal, and now the microphone's messing up. I'll change the battery in a second. Uh, there's no legal Christian witness with the recordings. And the first two weeks of this research, uh, the recordings went bad. So at present, there's a video camera over there, which is, should only be getting your backs. There are four recording devices because the first week, uh, it took three recording devices to get one decent recording. And I have to re- record this. Otherwise, uh, about a year's worth of work doesn't pay off. So uh, if you don't want to be recorded at all, just do me a favor and don't say anything during the service tonight. And then all that will be recorded is the back of your head. And if you're embarrassed by the back of your head, like it's, well, actually, I guess it is hitting you guys, but you guys don't count. Um, <laughs> if you're embarrassed by the back of your head, let me know. I'll put a blur over it. I can do that much. So uh, this is part of, of the, the service. Are y'all trying to grab batteries? There should be some in the bag. Uh, if not, I'll just use something else. But uh, let's worry about the scripture right now more, th- more so than the recording. So Noah, if you wouldn't mind operating this. Uh, this is from uh, the Gospel of Mark, the 14th chapter. We're going to read verses 22 through 26. We're going to go through more scripture later tonight. But um, if you would, uh, you'll find it in the Bible uh, that is around you on page 720. Or on the piece of paper, which is truthfully probably useless because it's really, really small print tonight. Uh, or if you prefer, it'll be uh, behind me as I'm reading this. This is from the 14th chop- chapter of the Gospel of Mark, starting at verse 22, going through verse 26. While they, and the they here is Jesus and his 12 apostles, and then other disciples also, but primarily the 12 apostles. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again until the fruit of the vine, excuse me, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, we've been going through the gospel according to Mark for quite some time, about a year and a half uh, now. And uh, it's kind of interesting because the way the Gospels work is they're not meant to be biographies. And I've said that before. They're, they're really not meant to be biographies. And some people treat it as though they're biographies. But they're, they're lousy biographies. If you, if you bought a biography and you read it and it talked about the person's birth and then mentioned again when this person was 12 years old and then didn't say anything at all until he was 30 years old and then spent a good part of the book describing three years of his life and then almost... A half of the book describing one week of his life, you would think, well, that's awful. These are not meant to be biographies. They are gospels. They are telling 
foretellings of the good news. They are, according to John, they are the information we need in order to have faith. That's their purpose. And uh, we've taken 70 weeks to get to the last week of Jesus' life. And when you get down to it, the past eight weeks have really been spent on the very first half of that week. And we reached a point where he's celebrating the Passover. And last week we talked about what the Passover meant. Uh, that it is the Jewish remembrance of being set free from slavery. And uh, so they were in the midst of celebrating the Passover. That reminder where, where four questions are asked. Just simply so we will remember. And maybe one day actually we will do a Sadar meal uh, here. Uh, where we remember. And somewhere in the midst of that, that Jewish remembrance of being set free. And the reason I say somewhere is because it says that he lifts up the cup. And that has specific Jewish meaning. Because there were four cups involved in a Sadar meal. There still are four cups that are involved in a Sadar meal. And this is either the third or the fourth cup. The reason I say either is because it says he lifts up the cup. We don't know which. Uh, and, and I can tell you, I have read lots of competing theories on people who seem to know what they're talking about. But realistically, it's just a really good guess. The third cup is, is the cup of redemption. So it makes perfect sense that the one who would be known as the Lamb of God, the one who said that he would be sacrificed for our redemption, would drink the cup of redemption and stop. But then the other one is the cup of praise. and So it also makes sense he would do that. What we know is he took the elements that would have been common within the Passover meal and he did them in in something very reminiscent of what Moses did. You see, Moses used blood to start the new covenant. Matter of fact, Scripture says that he took that blood, the blood of a red heifer, and he used it and he spread it on the people and he said, this blood is hitting you and it is the blood of the covenant. Sound familiar? So Jesus takes these symbols that would have been on the table. And he doesn't say, no, they're wrong. What he does is he redefines them because he is fulfilling what they were pointing towards. See, I I think he does this all the time because I think he takes ordinary things and he does spectacular things with them. Uh, which I think is quite often the problem we have in churches. We think he just wants the spectacular. And instead, truthfully, what he, what he does is he takes the ordinary and the messed up and the stuff that everyone else forgets or thinks is not worthy, and he uses it. If you read the Bible over and over, he takes the people that everyone else thinks, no, you can't use them. My personal favorite story is about a guy who's left-handed. Uh, it's a really, really cool story if you ever work with people who are in middle school because it's a gross story. <laughs> um, He takes those who are rejects. He takes those that other people consider sinful. He takes those who are ordinary and he does amazing things through them. So he just took what was on the table. And he does something spectacular with it. Now, so that you know, because we have actually a decent number of guests here tonight and uh, we're we're missing more threads. Um, So uh, you need to know this. We're, We're real picky about the Lord's Supper. And we're real picky about community at the exact same moment. And what I mean by real picky about the Lord's Supper is this. Uh, For us, this is a reminder of his body and his blood. 
It is an amazing moment where we remember his sacrifice, both in, in his body, but also in the blood that is shed for him. But at the same time, we, if we were talking church language, the language is we practice open communion. What I mean by that is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't care what church you are a part of, if you proclaim that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, I do not care what the name of the church is that you're on, you are welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, don't worry. You won't be the first person who hasn't taken the Lord's Supper here. Nobody's going to point you out and be like, Jan, you can't take the Lord's Supper. I just pointed Jan because I know she's a follower of, of Jesus. <laughs> Actually, I saw Jan at the grocery store, so I know she did get her own bottle. Um, <laughs> so, you're invited to do it. And the way we do it is this. The Lord's Supper was this reminder of His sacrifice, but at the same time, it was also this uniting of those who follow in Him. Because He makes this amazing statement, which is, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine again until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. So that in Corinthians, it says that every time we do this, we remember the Lord's death until He comes. See, it, it unites us because we look back to the past while we're looking to the future. So the way we do that as a group, and you, again, you're welcome, is we feed each other. So I will pray and thank God over each of these items. And then what happens is when people are ready, they will walk up here. And whoever's first, I will look at them and I will tear the, uh, them off a piece of bread. And I will say, peace of Christ to you. And they will dip it in the juice that way. We all drink from a common cup without getting sick. Please do not pick the cup up and slurp on it. Um, dip it and eat it. And then you wait and you feed the next person. Now, 1 Corinthians says that we should not eat this in an unworthy manner, which means that we should examine ourselves beforehand to see if there's any sin, which is a religious word for rebellion in our lives. Are we rebelling against that which God has asked us to do? And if we have acknowledged sin in our lives, then we shouldn't eat the Lord's Supper. Not because we're unworthy, because we're terrible, but because we're not ready. So let's spend a moment uh, in silence. And, and pray what David prays, which is, search me and know me, O God, and find out if there is any wicked way in me. Because he loves to redeem us. He loves to cleanse us of our wickedness. So please join me in prayer. Father, please search us and know us. And point out any blemish, any, any hatred, any rebellion against your way, any lack of love. Point it out so that we can come to you and ask you to forgive us and make us new. Your word says that you will make us white as the driven snow. So please do that now. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. The word says that on the night of his betrayal, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. When you take it, remember me. 
And it says that he took the cup. Now, it would not have been Welch's, though I associate Welch's with the Lord's Supper. But it would have been the cup of the Passover, a cup that they would have used to remember a God who sets the captives free. That he took that cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the new promise. When you drink this, remember me. And then he gave thanks. So let's give thanks. And then when you are ready, please come up here and uh, I'll feed the first person and then we'll feed each other. Please join me in prayer. Father, please help us to remember and make our memory cause us to be thankful. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. When you're ready, please come up. My battery has changed. That sounds weird, doesn't it? So uh, (laughs) hopefully we won't have any weird random noises and I shouldn't walk in front of the speaker because then we have those well sounds that happen again. Uh, We're about to fly. So you might want your Bible again uh, or it's going to appear behind me. We're going to read 27 through 42 on the same chapter. So this is what it says. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 26, Noah, so don't change anything. But uh, when they'd sung a hymn, they went on to the Mount of Olives. Now that's where this is happening. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others did the same. They went into a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, which is literally Aramaic for daddy. Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup for me. Yet not what I will, but you will. But what what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, "Are are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? 
Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, I'm sure that you have things that you love. I'm going to show you one thing that I love. Probably, all right, when you have kids, you get to kind of relive things because of of them that might not always be appropriate when you're actually, you know, a 44-year-old man. But when you have a little little small tyke as a part of it, you can indulge in them as much as you want. And everybody thinks you're a cool dad at that point. So I'm going to show you one of mine. This is actually the, the title slide. It's this. I love the spot the difference thinks. I, I just love them. The problem is, is I stink at them. Okay, I mean, it's like riddles. I love riddles, but I'm awful at it. Sometimes, you know, the thing about this is sometimes they're just funny and they're just meant to make, you know, some statement that's just kind of making you, you know, laugh. Sometimes they're saying something about society and every now and then you guys complain that I put up something that takes a while to read. I'll give you a second. Sometimes they're saying commentary on society. You can read this for just a second. Okay, I really thought it was funnier than that. Apparently it's not. Well, you know, the difference between a crazy person and a hands-free person, it's the same conversation. Okay. <laughs> Apparently it's not funny at all. Sometimes they're actually incredibly difficult to spot the differences. There we go. <laughs> I knew it would work. <laughs> Which one's terrifying? <laughs> I think I think this passage of scripture that we just read is about the differences. See, the the scripture we read tonight there's three things involved in it. The first one is is the institution of uh, what's known as the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist. And you might be like, well, I don't know what this has to do with anything. But I think it has a lot because we are about to uh, discuss and we just read a story of two different responses the first one is peter and and that's the first part of that passage that we just read tonight and then the next one is jesus and when you get down to it they're both facing incredibly difficult events that are about to happen to them but their responses are different Uh, i think this verse actually where jesus starts it off actually says what the entire thing's about now Right now, I am meeting with a group of people uh, every week to help collaborate in the message. And so uh, tomorrow night, we will read the scripture again, and they'll start talking about, uh, you know, what does this mean? And I take notes from them. And then throughout the week, uh, there's actually a document online, a Google document that they actually contribute to. And, and when reading this this week, one of the individuals was like, I said, you know, what does this mean to you? And he said, well, I think realistically what this means is, you fail and you're always going to fail. Because that's kind of what it sounds like. It's like Jesus starts off with, you're all going to leave me and there's nothing you can do about it. Matter of fact, if you look at the very first part of this scripture, I mean, that's what it is. It's like, you will all fall away. And matter of fact, not only will you all fall away, but it is written. So there's nothing you can do about it. But the best parts in scripture are the buts. Okay, they always are the buts. The but basically says, this is true but this is better. And the but is the key here, okay? The but is what the scripture is all about. And I'm going to say but as much as I possibly can. There's just certain times where it's just fun on things. If I had titles, it would be like it's all about the but. 
just because it makes me laugh. Obviously, it doesn't make any of you laugh, but sometimes there's just things I do for my own entertainment. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that but. And the but comes down to the story of two people because it all is happening here. Now, this is an actual photo of present-day Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, garden of Gethsemane is not a garden like what you would think of, okay? It, it, it is more of an orchard. There are olive trees that are put in there. And think, think actually like some of our, our uh, paper pine trees, okay? It's ordered in the sense of these trees are put in for easy picking and such. But it's not a garden like, oh, here's a nice little you know, thing of tulips and all this other stuff. It is literally somebody's orchard. If, if you were to, to look at it on a map, okay, Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives, which is right there. And it's just a somebody's property on the Mount of Olives. Now, what's really cool about this is, in tradition, if you were to travel to Jerusalem for Passover, you go, would go to a place to buy a sacrificial animal because you wouldn't want to travel with it. Uh, anybody would like to take a wild guess where you would go to buy a sacrificial lamb to be able to sacrifice for the Passover? Oh, you'd go to the Mount of Olives. Now, Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God. He is called the one who would be sacrificed for his people's sin. And he's about to be taken from the Mount of Olives. It's just a thing that I think is kind of fascinating. But on this trip to the Garden of Gethsemane, we have two different responses. And one of those is Peter, who Jesus says, hey, you're all going to fall away. And Jesus does. You guys probably never deal with guilt at all. You probably never, never you know, let anybody down. But I can tell you as somebody who lets people down regularly, the first thing I want to do when somebody goes, well, Robert will probably forget, is I want to respond with, no, I won't. I've got like the best memory ever. And all of you know I don't have the best memory ever. But I, I overdo it. Peter, instead of just being like, well, maybe Jesus has something, he kind of responds like he's this guy, okay? Like, you know, I can do it. No one else will. No one else will. But the reality is Peter's this guy, Okay? But you know it's that way, okay? Peter is like, I can do it in myself. Nobody else, nobody else will be able to stand with you. No one else will be able to do it. But the reality is, he's not just going to fall away one time. He's not going to fall away two times. He's going to fall away three. And it gets embarrassing. I mean, he doesn't just deny Jesus to someone who's powerful. He denies Jesus to a slave girl. See, it, Peter thinks he can do it on his own. He thinks he's strong enough, but he's not. Jesus actually responds in the exact opposite way. But let's, let's just finish up with Peter on this, okay? Peter says, I can do it, but the reality is he can't. Let's talk about Jesus just a little bit, okay? Jesus goes to the garden, and, and in this garden, he begins to pray. And, and I love Jesus' prayer here. And the reason I love his prayer here is because I think this point we see Jesus, I, I don't want to say we see him at his, at his most human because he's always human. I believe he is 100% God and 100% human. But this event displays his humanity very well. Because he does something, you know, surely you can't relate because none of you ever have issues like this, but I can completely understand with, I don't want to do this. So often we think of, of, of courage as, oh, yes, I'll do it. And, you know, Jesus is this big strong man who just responds with, God wants it done and I'll do it. But the reality of the matter is Jesus goes to a garden and he begs. 
He begs for, for God the Father to not make him go through this. And he doesn't even give God a wimpy way out like, oh, if it's possible. What he says is, I know this is possible. Everything's possible for you. Everything is possible for you, Father. Let's do this another way. See, we have this wonderful, nice little, quaint, polite picture of Jesus responding. But the reality here is this is a huge struggle that is happening. I'll bring it up in just a second. But Scripture responds that sweat is pouring from his body as if it were blood. Have you ever been that desperate? So desperate where, you know, the adrenaline's pumping through your body. And it's not because you're about to save somebody by lifting a car off of them. It's because you're scared to death. See, the reality is, is Jesus is in anguish. Some people refer to this as the agony of the Lord. That that he is suffering here. And he is begging and pleading. We only hear one small little phrase. Jesus makes this one little phrase. That's not because that's all he said. It's because the disciples fell asleep. There's actually debate about whether or not, you know, there's a, there's a guy who's described as a witness a little later on. It's this guy who uh, witnesses what's happening and he runs away and somebody, he's wearing like a, a cloak and somebody grabs it and he runs away in the nude. I just, I think that's funny. Um, but there's debate about whether or not this witness hears it or, you know, when you're sleepy, okay, this probably doesn't happen to you at all, but I may be asleep and somebody asks me a question um, and and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I remember slightly part of it. Pam says, I sleep talk. Every now and then she'll say, you know, I need you to do this and this. And I'll be like, yeah, okay. And I remember just about that much of it. I think that's what the disciples are doing here. They remember this much of Jesus' prayer. But we know it was at least an hour because Jesus uh, asked Peter, can't you stay awake for an hour? So, Scripture says that he is in such anguish that when he prays, uh, the sweat is dropping as if it was blood falling to the ground. That is torment. And it is not just about his physical torture that he's about to go through that he knows he's going to go through. I think it's much more than that. Uh, yes, sir? Yeah, if I remember right, somebody have the King James here? If I remember right, King James says blood on that. The, the better interpretation is that he's sweating as if he's, uh, blood is pouring out. Gotcha? Okay. Yes, sir, Elliot. You can do it. Yes. Uh, actually, and you, you know, like, can come from your eyes and such on things too. So it uh, wouldn't surprise me. Um, if you're just looking at the straight Greek, the, the, we have more modern Greek on some things. Uh, that's my only problem, truthfully, with King James is the Greek's older, and you don't have things like uh, what's known as the Dead Sea Scrolls or the Qumran Scrolls. So the Greek's a little better at that point. We have better Greek. Um, Either way, though, this is extreme anguish. So let's talk about that. Because I think we make it out way too easy for Jesus. Like, oh, he could just do that because, yeah, he's God. So it's real easy for him. But the reality of the matter is, it wasn't. He was scared to death about what he was about to go through. And he was begging the Father to not have to go through it. But there's that big, huge but. See, Jesus says, I can't do this. And the reality is that he can. And that but is what it is all about. 
It's the key. Because it's not just, oh, he's God that he's able to do this. If you look at all that he does in the New Testament, he does it through what he was about to go ahead of us for. See, Scripture bounces back and forth on each other. Scripture was not just written like a stenographer in a court, just writing down things live. They, they, they reference things back and forth quite often. And one of the things that Jesus says here later on is he's talking to the disciples and he's basically saying, after I'm raised from the dead, I will ascend, not actually go up because heaven is not up, but I will go to be with God the Father. And he says this statement, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. The advocate is is another name for the Holy Spirit. Literally means the comforter. And Jesus says, it is better for us that he leave and the Holy Spirit come than it is for him to stay. Why? Well, because everything he did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll see it again and again in Scripture. Okay, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit to the desert. If you read this, this is right before he's tempted in the desert uh, for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus literally survives temptation because of the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. If you look at it again, here's another one. The power of the Lord was present in him to heal the sick. How did Jesus do his miracles? He did his miracles through saying yes to the Holy Spirit working through him that's what the butt is all about even if you look here okay i'm sorry i'm pointing there you guys can't see what's behind you it's just that (laughs) if you look here in this story if you read the accounts and this is in all four of the gospels okay he survives this through the father sending an angel to strengthen him this is what it says an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him i don't often go into the greek or or to the hebrew and a little bit of aramaic but every now and then it makes a great deal of of sense we think of angels as supernatural beings they are but literally all the word is is messenger god literally sends a messenger to god the son god the father sends someone with his word an angelic being to strengthen his son how does jesus survive this huge burden on gethsemane by the power of the holy spirit see the but is what matters. It's, it's true here. Whenever you are arrested, brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say. Jesus, Just say whatever is given to you by who? By the Holy Spirit. See, if you read the New Testament, the reason Jesus can take the ordinary, the reason Jesus can take the malformed, the reason Jesus can take the sinful, the reason Jesus can take the powerful, the reason that Jesus, that Jesus can take the poor is because he's not relying on their strength. He's relying on the strength of the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter, who denies Jesus three times, even after he gets all puffed up, is like, oh, everyone else may fall away, but I will never fall away. I'll follow you completely. After he does that and denies Jesus three times, and anyone else would have turned around and just been like, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Peter can be redeemed, and he is used in amazing ways. And all you got to do is start reading the first uh, few chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, and you will see where Peter is a changed man. If you read this passage, the very people that he is scared of of, of saying, I, will, I am with Jesus before, the Sanhedrin, the very people that he denies Christ before, suddenly now he talks in such a way that they threaten him and they say, don't go talk about this Jesus anymore. And he's like, well, if it's better for us to follow you, that's stupid. 
God says for us to do this, we will follow him and you just do whatever you need to do. If you've got to torture us, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not stopping. Personal favorite passage, if you look in uh, Mark's, in Mark's <laughs> Acts 4.13, it suddenly goes, these people are amazed because they look at him and they go, he's unlearned and, such, and all of a sudden he speaks so powerfully. It's like the whole crowd in Jerusalem goes, this guy's an idiot. What is he doing? He's amazing. See, I can relate with that. Jesus uses idiots. I feel pretty, pretty good at that point. Peter goes from someone who denies Christ because he's scared of people torturing him, scared of people looking down on him, scared of people hurting him, to somebody who does not feel that he is worthy to die in the exact same way that Jesus dies. And one day in Rome, when they say, we are going to kill you because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, I am not worthy to die in the same way that my Lord died. So please hang me upside down. So the question comes down to is, what's the but? The but is this. Jesus is not looking for the most powerful to do things for him. He's looking for people who actually believe this scripture behind me. That he, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And are just stupid enough to actually let him do them. See, so often we think, oh, if I just work strong enough, I can get this together. But the reality is, is he's not looking for us to work stronger. He's looking for us to go, I'll trust in you. The, st- the stories of the Bible are filled with him using the unusable. Over and over and over again. Because he really can do all things through us if we just trust him. C.S. Lewis said, in the end, there will be two types of people. Those to whom God says, thy will be done, and those to whom they say to God, thy will be done. See, if you look at the end here, Jesus is saying to Peter, you're going to fall away. And Peter, instead of responding with, well, Lord, what do we do at this point? I trust you. You say this is going to happen. How do I respond? He goes, no, it's not. And he, he focuses on himself. And Jesus begs and prays with the Father and says, please, I don't want to go through this. But not my will. Yours. So what about the but? Because the reality is, is that Jesus did not write, uh, excuse me, the scripture was not inspired just so that we could talk about where the uh, Garden of Gethsemane was and its relation to getting sacrificial animals. The reality is, is that this was written so that we could follow Christ in our daily lives, i.e. tomorrow. Actually, I should probably say EG because it starts now <laughs> and it goes through the rest of the week. What is it that you are absolutely sure that there's no possible way you can do, but you're lying to yourself and saying, oh, I'll just try harder. Who is it that you are absolutely sure that there's no way you could forgive them, but you just keep on going, oh, I'll just grin and bear it. What sacrifice are you being asked to make that you're like, there's no way I could survive, but then you just pretend like you could. See, the but here was that Peter thought he could do it in his own strength. And Jesus Christ, the one who is God, depended on the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not looking for people to do the impossible for him. He's looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. 
You know what he's asking you to do. You know what he's asking you to not do. You know what he's begging for you to give to him. You know what he's begging for you to take from him. And the reality is so often we just struggle and we go, no, no, I can do it on my own. And he's just wanting us to depend upon him. So before I end and we sing one last song, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Then I'm going to end with just simply this. What is your but? What is it that you're trying to do in your own strength? But if you let God do, it would be a lot better. Stop trying to do it on your own. And instead, trying to trust the Holy Spirit. I am not saying that will be easy. And I'm not saying that Jesus will make everything work out all right. He begged the Father. The Father ultimately said, no, I'll give you strength to do it. We don't have a God who's just here to make our lives happy. We have a God who's here to give us purpose and meaning and hope and joy and love. Those are a lot different. So pray with me. We're going to sing to that God who is worthy. And if you need someone to pray with, I'll be in the back. Father, please help us to trust you. Amen. Please, stand and sing.